Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Who is it? It's Jimmy Richardson, Mr. Bishop. Oh, very well, Jimmy. Wait just a moment. Tuesday the 15th in Regent Street, please answer this box number 
Well, he will hear something to his advantage. Uh, or even better still, what about this one? All is well with higher clergy. Await instructions, seabird. Now, doesn't that stir the imagination, Watson? Can you work out what those messages mean in terms of human relationships? No, no, I can't. But, well, we approach life from different angles, Holmes. I, I'm concerned with the physical well-being of my patients, and I'm content to heal their bodies as best I can. I leave the imaginative workings of the mind to you. Ah, a visitor. This could prove interesting. I wonder if Mrs. Hudson's still with us. If I think she's yet to say goodnight. She usually pops her head in... Uh, Yes, I think she's answering the door. I know I have no appointments this evening. Oh, well, at least it will alleviate the boredom. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Holmes. A young gentleman to see you, sir. He says it's an urgent matter, but he ain't got no appointments. Have you the time? All the time in the world, Mrs. Hudson. Show him in, please. Yeah, right, sir. This way, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. I must beg your pardon. This is an intrusion, but I do need your help. You are Sherlock Holmes? At your service. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. John Watson. How do you do? Whatever it is you have to say may be said in front of him. We work together on most of my cases. Uh, please do sit down. I see that you have walked here. You must be fatigued in this hot weather. Place your jacket over that chair. Feel free to smoke your pipe if you wish. Oh, thank you. Now, what is it that you're so anxious to talk to me about? Is it something connected with your past in the Merchant Navy? Or your present job, which is to do with explosives? Good heavens, Mr. Holmes. I was told that you were swift to deduce things, but how do you know all this about me? I know very little about you, except that you walk like a seaman, that you have a tattoo mark from Australia on your right forearm, and that while your hands are well kept, suggesting that you do not indulge in manual work, the hairs on both hands and arms have been recently scorched. Those type of burns are usually associated with experiments with some form of gunpowder. Are you perhaps a scientist of some sort? Well, I'm amazed at your perception. Yes, yes, I am. My name is Jimmy Richardson. I've had quite a checkered career, which did include a long stint at sea. I've always been interested in chemical and explosive research. At the moment, I work for Mr. Giles Bishop in his experimental workshop at Twickenham. I've been with him for a little over a year now, and, well, it, it's because of him that I'm here. You see, Mr. Bishop is an inventor, quite a brilliant one. He's been perfecting a new type of gun. If he succeeds in selling the invention, it could revolutionize modern infantry warfare. He was to have given a demonstration next week. Everything has been going splendidly, and we are both sure of success. But, well, you see, Mr. Bishop has simply disappeared. Disappeared? Yes, without trace. We were due to carry out final tests at the workshop yesterday afternoon. I arrived, let myself in with my key, and did some paperwork while waiting for him. He didn't arrive. I worked until 10 o'clock and then packed up and went home. I thought some technical matter arising from his negotiations with the war office might have delayed him. Well, I, I woke early this morning and was once again at work before him. When he didn't arrive by ten o'clock, I once again locked up and went round to his lodgings. The landlady, Mrs. Craddock, said he hadn't been seen since the previous evening. His bed was not slept in. He... he must have been missing for two days, and I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I, I don't know what could have happened to him. You've been to the police? No, no, I... I think the very nature of Mr. Bishop's work indicates that I should stay away from the police. Frankly, Mr. Holmes, I'm worried that someone is after our new invention... In the hands of a foreign power, it could have a devastating effect upon our military position in many parts of the world. You have evidence that the secrets of this new gun have been leaked abroad? No, no evidence at all. I've made a complete check of the workshop. All the equipment is intact. All the relative papers are safely under lock and key. Nothing is missing. I would know if there was. It's all untouched exactly as it should be for our demonstration. Mm. 
And then you're worried for Mr. Bishop personally? Yes. He's a wonderful man. It would be much more to the advantage of a foreign power to kidnap him and force all the knowledge from him than it would be to simply take the gun and its secrets. Please, won't you help to try and trace what has happened to him? It is far more important than I've been able to explain. I know that Mr. Bishop would not go off at this crucial time without letting me know what he was doing. He must have been abducted, forced away against his will. It's an urgent matter, Mr. Holmes. Please say that you will help. Of course, Holmes agreed. Even if it had not been such a slack period in his career, I think he would have taken the case. His first reaction was typical. After taking Jimmy Richardson's address and making an appointment to see him early the next morning, he invited me out to dine. We hailed a handsome cab, and to my surprise, Holmes requested that we be driven to the Diogenes Club. And once there, of course, he asked for his brother, Mycroft, who invited us to join him. Uh, there was another gentleman in the party, uh, Mr. James Jules. Good to see you both. Do join us, sir. Oh, uh, allow me to introduce you. This is Mr. James Jules. Jules is my brother Sherlock and his colleague, Dr. John Watson. Thank you. Jules is in the Defence Ministry. Oh, Thank you. This is the most timely meeting. As a matter of fact, I have one or two queries regarding an interesting case that has come my way. Perhaps between the two of you, you might be able to give me a little advice. I've heard so much about you from your brother that I doubt if I can advise you on anything. But I shall be a very avid listener. Let's order a drink, sir, and you can tell us what's on your mind, Sherlock. Waiter, same again, please. And uh, two more scotch and sodas. That will be to your liking, won't it, Watson? Oh, uh, thank you, thank you, yes. I know my brother's taste. Well, now, uh, tell us what it is that you're interested in at the moment, Sherlock. More murder and mayhem? <laughs> I sincerely hope not. Now, I'm inquiring about an inventor named Giles Bishop. I believe he's recently been in touch with the war office. I'd like to check up on him. Uh, Jules will tell you more than I can. Although I do know the name, of course. Giles Bishop. Yes, I know him. Bit of a crank. Comes up with all manner of ideas. Some of them might work, but they're very extreme. As a matter of fact, he's got an application in for a demonstration regarding some newfangled invention. Wants to sell it to an armaments firm. Can only do so if the defense boys recommend it. I can tell you here and now, the chances are very slim. Of course, one has to have experiments in all fields in order to get progress. But frankly, I'd say Bishop's simply far too visionary. Lots of our people think he's as mad as a hatter. What's your interest in him, Holmes? Well, I'm not quite sure. I should very much like to meet him. But he seems to be out of town at the moment. Ah, a good thing, if you ask me. Won't be bothering us every five minutes. I'd say whatever your problem is, you'd be well advised to forget it. Ah, here are the drinks. You're very good health, gentlemen. I was surprised that Holmes appeared to take James Jewell's advice, for he immediately changed the subject, and during and after an excellent dinner, the matter was not referred to again. We left the club quite early and took a hansom back to Baker Street. Holmes appeared thoughtful and hardly spoke. It wasn't until we were actually outside 221B that he showed any sign of interest. For having paid off the cab, we found young Jimmy Richardson waiting on the pavement. Ah, oh, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I've been waiting for you. I, I have to tell you, I have received a letter from Mr. Bishop. He says there is nothing wrong and that he has simply gone away for a few days to think things out. But the letter is a fake. I'm sure it is. Please, won't you study it and give me some advice? I know it's late, but please, won't you agree? Mm -hmm.
I'd rarely known a case start off so very tamely. I was surprised when instead of dismissing Jimmy Richardson, Holmes actually readily agreed and showed the young man upstairs to our sitting room. There, he asked to see the letter from the missing inventor. Dear Richardson, a short note to say that I've gone away into the country for a week. I've been at it too hard and I'm inclined to rather overdo it a bit. I want you to clearly understand that there is nothing to worry about. I will see to everything when I return. I want you to simply carry on as usual yours, Giles B. Uh, this is his handwriting. Oh, yes, it's his handwriting. No doubt about that. I don't think anyone has forged the note, but he must have been forced to write it. To start with, he would never call me Richardson. He would write Dear Jimmy. And then here, he, he would never sign himself Giles B. He would write G. Bishop. Yes. Also, I take it that he's a very educated man. Oh, yes, yes, most learned. And yet he has split three infinitives in one short note. Yes, I think you must be right. The note is deliberately couched in this way to arouse suspicions and put us off the track. Uh, did this come through the post? Yes, here, the envelope. Uh, see, you can just make out the postmark. Mm, Richmond, Surrey. Do you think that I I should get in touch with the police after all, Mr. Holmes? Get them to alert the Richmond squad with a description of Mr. Bishop? No, 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 I don't. If this letter was written under duress, then it would not be posted in an area where we can trace it back. Yes, I think I shall start from quite the opposite end. Uh, it's late now. There's nothing more we can do tonight. But first thing tomorrow morning, I should like you to take Watson and me to Mr. Bishop's lodgings. That is where we shall start. Now, shall we agree to meet at seven o'clock here for an early breakfast? Jimmy Richardson was right on time the next morning. And Holmes, who had spent a good 20 minutes in deep thought over the agony columns of the morning papers, served him breakfast with no mention of his plans for the day. We took a cab and drove to Giles Bishop's lodgings. They were on the top floor of a terraced house in St. Margaret's Avenue, Spring Grove. Mrs. Mabel Craddock received us with genteel disapproval. Of course, you may see the rooms, although I consider it quite unnecessary. I received a short note only yesterday from Mr. Bishop to say that he decided to spend a week in the country. It's quite clear that he will return when he thinks fit. Uh, may I see that note, Mrs. Craddock? I don't think I kept it. It was just a short note in his own hand. I recognize the handwriting. Oh, really, Mr. Holmes, I don't know what all the fuss is about. This way, please, upstairs. Mr. Richardson, you've been here before as Mr. Bishop's guest. Would you like to show these gentlemen the way? Yes, yes, of course. I'd be obliged if you would make sure everything is neat and orderly when you come down. I would not like Mr. Bishop to feel his belongings have been disturbed in any way. I assure you that we shall not interfere. It's simply the fact that we wish to find out exactly where Mr. Bishop has gone. It is very important, a matter regarding his work. Oh, oh, I, oh I see. Uh, one other point. Uh, when precisely did you last see Mr. Bishop? Oh, when he retired for the night three nights ago. He went to his rooms. I heard nothing. But he must have changed his mind and gone out again. For the next morning, he had gone. His bed had not been slept in, you see. He must have decided to pack and leave that night. I did think it rather odd as the front door was still bolted. He must have let himself out the back way. I was a little disturbed at first, but of course the note he sent was put everything all right. Up those stairs. I shall be waiting for you when you come down, when you finish. Thank you, Mrs. Craddock. Uh, please follow me. So, she had a note as well. I wonder what clues Mr. Bishop left, hoping that she would realize all was not well. I'm afraid Mrs. Craddock isn't the type to understand subtleties. Uh, no, no, in, in here. Mm. Ah, so, so these are his rooms. This is the living room, and through here, I presume, is the bedroom. 
Yes, yes, I think this is the room we want. It looks out over the back roofs, doesn't it? A sash window and outside, yes, a small fire escape to the roof. Uh, just give me a hand with this, will you, Watson? Well, you think the bishop might have left through the window, Holmes? Well, that would certainly explain why Mrs. Craddock didn't hear anything. Yes, and also how the front door remained bolted. Uh, just a moment. Don't touch anything until I've made a thorough examination. Yes, there are fresh scratches on the brown paintwork. See here and out on the ledge near the iron staircase. Several cigarette butts. Did Giles Bishop smoke, Richardson? No, not at all. He maintained that it was too dangerous in the job that he's doing. Yes, I see. Well, then it seems clear that the abduction, if there was one, took place from here. Come, Watson, let's see if we can follow a trail. I have an idea we're on the right lines at last. Holmes clambered out of the window onto the iron fire escape, and I followed him. The staircase led both up and down. Holmes went up, and we found ourselves on a flat rooftop. It seemed to lead to nowhere, until Holmes pointed out yet another small flight of iron stairs that took us up and across yet another roof. Holmes moved slowly and carefully examining the slates and tiles that gave way on either side. Eventually, he was satisfied. Yes, there's no doubt about it, Watson. I should say two men were involved. They carried or dragged our man across this space on the roof, and then... And then what, Holmes? Having got him up here, what the devil did they do? Well, there's only one explanation. Look, uh, down there, see that roof? Yeah, large glass and light. Holmes? Is it possible they took him through there? That's the only explanation. Well, what should we do? Climb down there and break it? No, I think that would be a little premature. No, no, Watson. We must spend the rest of the day making preparations. I must get in touch with Mycroft once again and visit a few newspaper offices. And then, and then tonight, with the aid of Mrs. Craddock's back door key, we get into the house, come up here, and it is then that we break through that fanlight. Come. Let's go back the way we came. And not a word of this to anyone, not even Jimmy Richardson. I was completely baffled by the rest of that day. When I saw Holmes, he was either hurrying in or out of our rooms at Baker Street. He seemed tireless. But I knew him well enough to recognize that he had formed a theory and was working upon it. That evening, at about nine o'clock... We once again took a cab and made our way to Spring Grove. The house we're about to burgle is owned by Mr. Harold Kestrel, Watson. He works as head of the Essex Arsenal. Now, does that not mean something to you? Uh, well, uh, I suppose it... Well, frankly, no. The Essex Arsenal supplies government arms of various types on contract to the Defence Ministry. Now, surely there must be a connection with Kestrel and the Bishop's new invention. Yes, now that makes sense. Now, you may have noticed that I've been taking a great interest in the agony column of the newspapers. Do you remember one insertion? It read in the morning paper, All is well with higher clergy, seabird. I'm sure you can easily read, All is well with Bishop Kestrel. Joe Holmes, that's clever. Thank you. And there was a reply to that insertion. It read, Seabird, take care of clergy. Money ready. Two J's. What, you, you think of ransom is about to be no, 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 I don't. Now, let me read you tonight's message. It is clergy dangerously ill. Call ten tonight. Knock three times with money and instructions. Seabird. Oh, Heavens, you think they're about to kill the man? No, 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 Watson. It's a trap. A trap I laid by myself. You see, I placed that insertion. If I'm right, we shall clear the whole matter up in just one hour. Ah, here is St. Margaret's Avenue. Good. It won't be long now, Watson. <laughs> 
The entry into Bishop's lodgings and the quiet scramble across the rooftops in the evening light were far easier than I anticipated. Holmes had left nothing to chance. We had ropes and lanterns and rubber-soled shoes. It was only a matter of minutes before we found ourselves on the rooftop of the house owned by the man Kestrel. Holmes reached into his pocket and produced a gun. There. You see, Watson, there's a light on. Being a fan light, there can be no curtain. Careful now, let me go first. Yes, yes, I can see. Yes, we're right. There's a man lying on the bed. He seems asleep. And another sitting in a chair beside him. Well? How the devil do we get down there? There's only one way, Watson. I'm going to simply jump through the glass. Follow me as quickly as you can. I'll deal with the tug on guard. You attend to the man on the bed who must be Bishop. Ready? Here I go. All right. Stand there with your hands over your head. Who, who are you? Now, what's this all about? Not to sound, not to sound, or you're a dead man. Watson. It, it's all right, Holmes. I, I'm with you. Tend to Bishop. Very well. But this man's drugged, Holmes. He's, he's still alive. But I, I, I can't wait for you. Don't try. Wait. Listen. Well, what's in that? Stay quite still, Kestrel, and you won't be hurt. The game is up for the police are surrounding the house. We are taking Giles Bishop out of here, and you are going to face arrest for kidnapping and assault. Come on. After that, events happened at a remarkable speed. A man named Kestrel must have realized that he could not escape. He refused to make a statement, wisely waiting for his lawyer to advise him. Holmes left me to take care of Bishop, and at gunpoint, forced Kestrel and the man called Woods downstairs. They didn't have long to wait before... Open it, Kestrel, and don't make a false move. Very well. What's wrong with Bishop? Why? Ah, we've caught the big fish at last. Come in, James Jules. Mycroft, bring the police in. The case is over. Well done, Shark. This way, man. This way. Right this way. Come this way. Back at our rooms, Holmes was able to add the final detail. It was all arranged by James Jules. The two J's of the advertisements. He was in need of money. He arranged a deal with Kestrel of the Essex Arsenal. He would renew the standing contracts for a certain sum. But then Bishop came up with this new invention, which, if the defense ministry were impressed by the demonstration, would alter all their contracts for arms. Bishop simply had to be kept out of the way until the business deals went through. Luckily, we were able to foil the kidnappers. The demonstration will take place as planned. And who knows, it could revolutionize the whole of this country's defenses. Let's hope so. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.
Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, splendid. There's a nice fire going here in the morning room. And Roger has arranged all your letters on the desk. Let's have the morning quietly by ourselves, shall we, Felix? Oh, anything you say, my dear. It has turned cold, hasn't it? Yes, I'm content to stay at home, be my correspondent. I have letters to write also. Mm, what's this? That's odd. The writing seems familiar. And the foreign stem, of course, again. Dear Droops, this will come as a shock to her job. I can't believe it. It's signed Brawny. What is it, dear? You've gone quite pale. Are you ill? Well, this letter, it, it claims to be from my older brother, Matthew, but... But he died. He, he died many years ago. We present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. The Eldest Son. Looking back over the years and the hundreds of cases I've chronicled about Sherlock Holmes, I recall one of the most interesting to be the chance reaction brought by Matthew Inglethorpe for the recovery of his lawful inheritance. It was about the turn of the century that Sir Rufus Inglethorpe died. He'd lived for many years on his own at a vast country estate known as the Elms, near Canterbury. After his death, his younger son Felix and his wife Jennifer took over the house. For a while, all was peaceful. And then, a ripple of rumour began to run through London society. The newspapers and social publications hinted that all was not well at the Elms. 
I think it was at that point that Holmes started taking an interest. Mm. What do you know of the Inglethorpe family, Watson? Well, little or nothing, Holmes. It's a name that has been continually bandied about in society, but as I take little interest in such affairs, I confess I'm, well, more or less ignorant. Well, why should I be interested? Well, because the family appears to have the seeds of destruction planted within itself. I've noticed that it occurs regularly in history and continues right until the present day. Now, let me see. I have several old scrapbooks here that would prove invaluable upon family references. Now, let me see. Ah, yes, I think this might tell me. Ah, yes, yes, here we are. There was an Admiral Inglethorpe who greatly distinguished himself in the wars against the Dutch. And, of course, Sir Rufus, who died recently, was a famous army man. Yes, it was well known that he had an ungovernable temper. He ruled the family with a rod of iron. And inevitably, the eldest son, Matthew, kicked against this imposed discipline once he became of age. There was an enormous row, and Matthew left the estate never to return. For a while, he wrote secretly to his mother, but she soon became ill and died. Matthew is thought to have died in Africa. Oh, dear. I seem to have heard those sort of stories so many times in connection with wealthy families. Oh, I agree. Also, it seems that the daughter, Phoebe, caused a sensation by marrying an actor named Clarence Howard. As might have been expected, Sir Rufus lost his famous temper and she also left the Elms. Yes, they also travelled abroad, America mostly. And who was left? Well, just the other son, Felix, who left only to marry a wealthy society beauty, Jennifer Trent. It's they who are the present owners of the Elms. Well, this may be of interest to some people, but I'm surprised that you find it so, Holmes. After all, the domestic squabble of the Inglethorpe family is a family matter. There's nothing criminal going on, no, surely. Not at the moment, not at the moment, but there could be. You see, Felix Inglethorpe used to be a member of the Diogenes Club. He's recently resigned. My brother, Mycroft, attributes it to yet another family scandal. Ah, we appear to have a visitor. Now, this could be most interesting. You see, Mycroft was mentioning my name only recently to Jennifer Inglethorpe, who's distressed at her husband not using the club. Oh, I wonder. A lady to see you, Mr. Holmes. Says she's sorry she doesn't have an appointment. But here's her card and she's waiting below. She's very nice. Proper lady, beautifully dressed. Oh, thank you. Ah, yes, yes. Show the lady up, Mrs. Hudson. Very good, sir. Well, I'd better put the scrapbook away, Watson. It makes it look a little too obvious. The lady is indeed Mrs. Jennifer Inglethorpe. And it is a coincidence, Holmes. No, no, not really. She must have seen the papers and realized things were coming to a head. Ah. Mrs. Inglethorpe. Ah, good day to you, madam. Uh, pray do come in. It's a very cold day, but we have a good fire. Thank you. But... Uh, allow me to introduce mm. you. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Mm. Watson. You may feel free to speak to him as you would to me. This is a most delicate matter. Well, I'll leave you if you wish, madam. No. No. Your brother, Mycroft, has told me much about you, Mr. Holmes. And you too, Doctor. Uh, uh, may I remove my case? Oh, uh, please, uh, allow me. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, do sit down near the fire. I shall be most comfortable here, thank you. I, uh... I hardly know where to begin. It is regarding your husband and the fact that there is a claimant to the Elms Estates... His elder brother, Matthew, who was thought to have been dead these 20 years, has now returned to this country and, as the eldest son of the family, maintains that the Elms is his. Is that not so? Mr. Holmes, I cannot think how you know this. We have done our best to suppress these facts. Ah, but some news has leaked to the daily press and speculation is now rife. I do sympathize, Mrs. Inglethorpe, but I hardly see how I can help. 
I'm so confused, Mr. Holmes. I thought if I could present all the facts to you, you, you might be able to make me see the whole affair in a more reasonable light, and, and then I might be of more support to my husband in his dilemma. Very well. I'm willing to listen to whatever trouble you find yourself in. Well, it is much as you suggest. Matthew, Felix's brother, has returned after over 20 years. He approached the solicitors, Coins and Blanco, mm -hmm. and they have drawn up a sworn affidavit regarding the whole of his activities. He says his life is an open book and anyone is willing to question him on any matter. My husband agreed to meet him privately and... Well, he is inclined to believe that this stranger from the grave is his own brother. I see. But we cannot just accept his testimony at face value. We are therefore prepared to wait. If the matter reaches court, it will create a sensational scandal. Mm. Uh, Phoebe, that is Felix's sister who has returned to this country, now that both her father and her husband are dead, she refuses to believe that this man is her elder brother. Phoebe and Felix have never got along at all well, but this matter has thrown them together again. I see. Felix invited her down to the Elms, and the arguments have never stopped. Things came to a head a few nights ago. We had sought legal advice, of course, but a frank discussion brought many facts out into the open. Felix, as always, was kindness itself... But Phoebe was adamant. She impressed upon Wilfred Simmons, uh, our family solicitor, that she would never accept this imposter. I tell you, Mr. Simmons, that Matthew is dead. I know he is dead. This man is an imposter. We've only to take him to court and trick him once or twice, and we can break him. But Phoebe, the letter, the handwriting. Well, we have nothing to compare it with, but the fact that he called me Droops. No one else ever called me that. Well, I mean, since we were children, except Matthew. And I always refer to him as Braun. You know that, but... How could an imposter have found that out? I don't know. But he has somehow. Look, if Matthew had been alive in recent years, do you think we wouldn't have heard from him? Of course we would. He would have been sponging upon us, writing, begging letters. Oh, come, come, come. He, he may have become rich, successful, made good. After all, your own husband, Clarence... Oh, Matthew would never have become successful. Clarence might have started off as an actor, but he ended as a theatre impresario. A name to be reckoned with in America. And he did it purely by hard work. Matthew was a drifter. He put down no roots and never worked unless he could help it. He was perilous when he died in Africa. Phoebe, you can't say that. You don't know it. You were guessing. And Mr. Simmons is right. I've never received a begging letter from Matthew in my life. Well, I have. Uh, what? You have? Yes, many times. Though I suppose he must have reasoned that because I left the fold that I would be more sympathetic than you. I've received about five, all told, over the years. But, but why didn't you ever tell us? My dear brother, we've hardly been on speaking terms during the last 20 years, no, have no, we? Can you produce any of these letters so we could compare the handwriting and then... No, of course I can't produce them. I didn't keep them. At least I don't remember doing so. I'll go through my things, but it's very doubtful. Did you ever reply to the letters? Once or twice. I was even stupid enough to take pity on him once. Many years ago, we were in America. He was there, too, drifting about the San Francisco docks on his way to Africa. I sent him money. He never acknowledged it. Then I had another begging letter from Africa. It was just before Khartoum. He must have died out there about the time General Gordon was killed. Since then, I haven't heard a thing. But, Phoebe, this doesn't prove a thing. I, I mean... No, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. This may help me. If we confront this man and ask him casually if he ever wrote to his sister, and if so, when and where, 
It will place him in an extraordinarily difficult position. He'll be forced to give us facts and figures. If you can only find one of those letters, Phoebe, then I think we shall have the proof that we need. I shall look. As I say, I hold out very little hope. But please, don't let us give him the chance to do even greater research into Matthew's past. I, I beg you, leave it until he tries to take the whole matter to court. Let us keep all this up our sleeves. I'd sooner settle it out of court without a scandal. You want to give away the family fortune, the home, just hand it over to this man without fighting him? I always thought you were spying. Oh, no, 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 please, please, please. Phoebe, you haven't seen him. I'm sure it is Matthew. He had... Well, he looks like Matthew, speaks like him. You can remember how he looks and speaks after 25 years? You were a youngster when you last saw him. You can't believe it's Matthew. And I won't let you hand everything over to him. Now, please, please, let's keep all this to ourselves. At least for the next few days. Just let us wait and leave the next move to him. Now, what do you say? You agree? And that is where we are at the moment, Mr. Holmes. I came to ask your opinion. What do you think we should do? Fight the matter in court or not? What do you say? Jennifer Inglethorpe leaned forward in her chair and looked eagerly at Sherlock Holmes. He'd been listening intently to a story. His dressing gown wrapped around his tall frame, his head sunk upon his chest as he gazed into the fire. He placed the tips of his fingers together and then said, I advise you to remain quiet. Your sister-in-law is correct in one respect. In a position like this, the guilty parties will eventually give themselves away. But I think in this case, quite a lot of rope will have to be played out before the culprits hang themselves. I was surprised that Holmes phrased his reply in the plural. But Mrs. Inglethorpe seemed quite satisfied. She rose to her feet. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. But will you promise me one thing? If at any time... You can take an active part in the conclusion of this affair. You will do so regardless of our personal feelings. I will give you that promise, yes. Good day to you, Mrs. Inglethorpe. After that, some weeks passed before a court action was publicly announced. It immediately hit the headlines. There was general sympathy for the claimant. It was a romantic story. The return of the repentant prodigal son, penniless, to take what was rightfully his. It lasted for days. Some witnesses swore Matthew Inglethorpe was genuine, others that he wasn't. Of course, the cross-questioning of the man himself was the highlight. Sir Arthur Wolseley, for the defence, subjected him to hours of interrogation and threw some very awkward questions at him. Now, tell me, we have heard of your travels throughout the world, how you dropped the name Matthew Inglethorpe for the less conspicuous name Ianthorpe. During this time... Did you ever attempt to communicate with your family at the Elms? No. You didn't write any letters to your father, brother, or sister? I didn't write to my father or my brother at the Elms. I did, however, write to my sister Phoebe. Ah. Can you remember how many letters you wrote and the times and places from which you wrote them? I wrote five letters in all. I can't remember the exact dates. I know the last one was from Africa. At the time before that, I was in San Francisco. And Phoebe was kind enough to send me money for my passage to Africa. I arrived there in 1881, just after the defeat of Majuba. I wrote again some four years later, at the beginning of 1885, when General Gordon was slain. That was the last time I tried to communicate with her. Ah, well, Watson, he's got around that one perfectly. If he can only prove his handwriting, he's in a very strong position. 
Yes, I think they're going to bring his sister for the defense. Phoebe Howard was calm, but I suspected very angry as she stepped forward to give her evidence. She denied any resemblance of the claimant to her brother, refusing to see any likeness. As to the letters, she spoke with total conviction. The handwriting on the letter my brother Felix received, calling him by those nicknames, and the handwriting on the letters I received, is, to the best of my knowledge, completely different. It is a pity that you did not keep those letters. I would have done had I known this would come about. But who keeps begging letters for five years? Naturally, I destroyed them all. Naturally. But what makes you so sure that the claimant is not your long-lost brother? What about his evidence, his knowledge? He could have found out all he's told us from a long association with Matthew. In one of his letters, Matthew mentioned a bosom friend who traveled with him. They were in Africa together. I believe that bosom friend to be here, sitting in this court, impersonating Matthew. In this court? Please, Your Honor... May I make a statement? Proceed. My brother Matthew was the black sheep of the family. I was also treated as an outcast when I married the man I loved. Can't you see that if this man was Matthew, I should be delighted that he now came back to redress so many wrongs? I've no love for the past. I would dearly love to see a change in the old ways. If I truly believe this man was Matthew, I should embrace him with open arms. But as it is, I cannot believe him. I do not know him. But I know you and our secret regarding the governess. Yes, Governess Grinsley. We got her fired by placing stolen jewelry in her wardrobe, didn't we? You and me. And no one else knows this, not even Felix. Or have you forgotten that? Great heavens, Holmes. He has won the day. To that, it was literally all over Father shouting. Judgment was entered for Matthew Inglethorpe, and he was cheered when he left the law courts. There was great admiration also for Felix Inglethorpe when he was seen to shake hands most heartily with his elder brother. Phoebe Howard, however, heavily veiled and muffled in her furs, hastily climbed into a waiting hansom and vanished. The case was over. So, you think the case is over, do you, Watson? I, uh, I beg your pardon, Holmes. Well, ever since we returned home, you've been wearing a satisfied smile, yet you haven't said a word. The events at the law courts could hardly have been more dramatic, could they? It's caught the public imagination, and everyone is pleased with the result. Except uh, Phoebe Hart. Oh, I don't think she'll be too distressed. What do you mean by that? Well, simply that in her own words, she was prepared to embrace her real brother with open arms. I predict that it will not be long before she and Matthew are reconciled. Mm. Well, then the case really will be over. And if they'll all learn the lessons of the past, then perhaps this family will not fail again, as you think they're doomed to. I wish I could feel as confident as you, Watson, but I'm afraid I still think there is a considerable way to go. And until something positive occurs, well, we must just wait and see, mustn't we? And after that, I was determined to forget the whole affair. I concentrated upon my work. Although word did reach me that Holmes' prediction regarding a family reconciliation had, in fact, taken place. It seems that, once again, it was Felix Inglethorpe's generous nature that brought it about. Come, come. Surely it is time that we behaved sensibly. The facts have been faced. 
It is only natural that one should feel a certain animosity, but we must all try to rise above the circumstances. After all, Jennifer and I are the ones who stand to lose most. We are making preparations to leave the Elms. We shall return to town and establish our home there. Uh, you don't have to hurry in any way, Felix. In, in fact, I should appreciate it if you could stay on and assist me in running the estates. No, no, I could not do that. They are yours to do as you like with. And what of you, Phoebe? I shall be all right. No need to worry about me. But these vast rooms, the running of the house. I'm still unmarried. There's no one here to play hostess. If you would consider returning to the Elms after all these years, I am more than willing to adjust to your taking your share. That... Uh, that is very generous of you, Matthew. But surely, after all that has happened, after all I have said about you, blackened your name. Will you consider joining me back at the old home and trying to make a future happy for both of us? Will you, Phoebe? It was shortly after Phoebe returned to the Elms that Sherlock Holmes made a rather unusual request. He'd been to see Jennifer Inglethorpe and her husband Felix and had somehow contrived to get us all invited down to the Elms one Sunday. I confess I could see no reason for this, but curiosity made me accept the invitation. It was clear from the onset that Matthew and his sister Phoebe were slightly put out by our visit. Felix introduced us, and immediately Holmes dominated the proceeding. I'm extremely sorry if this seems to be an intrusion in any way, but really, Mrs. Inglethorpe, you've only yourself to blame. Me? I don't understand. When you came to see me at my rooms in Baker Street, you made a request, and that was that if ever I saw fit to take an active part in the family drama, I should do so regardless of anyone's feelings, remember? Yes. Yes, of course. But I don't understand. No, but you will. Now, Mrs. Howard, it is with you that I shall start. By all means, Mr. Holmes. What exactly is it that you want? The truth, from your own lips. You see, it's one thing to cause emotional scenes with clever stories, but quite another to prevent those lies being verified. I have a good many friends in the United States. It did not take me long to confirm or deny the facts. I don't know what you mean. Your marriage, your husband's so-called success story, and his apparent death. Of course you married the actor Clarence Howard. You did travel extensively with him, but he was out of work most of the time, wasn't he? What are you talking about? You ended up in cheap lodgings in Boston. Then you and he disappeared from the scene. There is no record of his death or burial in the United States, and no one has ever heard of him in the world of the theatrical impresarios where he's supposed to have made his name. Now look here, Holmes, what are you insinuating? Are you trying to say I am that saying I... that Clarence Howard didn't die. He remained very much alive. But Matthew Inglethorpe, the real Matthew Inglethorpe, did die out in Africa under the name of Ian Thorpe. Records could be checked there, you see. Then, then this man is an imposter. Of course he is an imposter. He is Clarence Howard. Oh, Clarence? Of course. Holmes, I beg of you. How else could someone give such a convincing performance? Retain all the facts and details of family life unless he was a trained actor able to sustain a characterization. And... And all the information he gave us was drummed into him by Phoebe, his own wife. She alone knew the secrets of the family and groomed him to perfection in the part. And then, very cleverly, she took the role of being his arch enemy, trying to trick him. It was a performance almost as good as his. This is unbelievable. Of course, he won the claim. Against all odds, he had proved himself. Everyone was taken in. In time, a reconciliation with Phoebe, and then, of course, 
They could take over the elms and the estates while you bowed out quietly. How long they would have been able to sustain the roles of brother and sister is a matter of speculation. Well, what course of action you take is up to you. I should guess that the next court case will be even more of a sensation than the first one. Don't you agree? Holmes and I returned to Baker Street immediately. And I cannot imagine the scenes that must have taken place back at the Elms. Once again, I was at a loss to know how Sherlock Holmes had arrived at the truth. Every little detail was so overwhelmingly glib. His evidence, I mean. He remembered everything. The man knew far too much at just the right time. And the one member of the family who was never mentioned was Clarence Howard. Uh, it was worth checking up on. Facts. That's what detection is made of, Watson. Lies can never replace facts. Oh, she was very clever, but just a little too clever. Don't you think? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.